I appreciate guys coming on out. I know it's still kind of a, you know, kind of a new thing for us to get back out into society and meeting as groups. So we appreciate you guys coming on out. Uh, for those of you who are still at home, we want to welcome our at-home audience. Now, I don't know if you actually read the emails that we send out to you guys. Probably not. That's fine. But this week we talked about how we've got a little bit of an issue with our live stream, mainly that it's not live. So it's difficult to have a live stream when it's not live. I don't know if you realize this, but this is basically Fort Knox in here. Uh, so there's no Wi-Fi. There's a bunch of issues. We are working through it with the museum, and hopefully, please, Jesus, we will have Internet in here, which will allow us to live stream once again. When we get that, oh, just you wait to see how things are going to change around here. Woo, it's going to be good. Anyway, that aside, um, today we are wrapping up this series that we've been calling Permission to Speak Freely where over the last four weeks, we have been diving into essentially the power of our words. And um, before we get into it, I want to recap real quick where we've been, because I know we have a lot of new folks today, just to give an idea of what we've talked about, so you can have it in the back of your mind before we finish today. So in week one, we got some advice from a guy named James, who is actually the brother of Jesus Christ. And James gave us some advice as Christians, how we can begin to, let's say, communicate more appropriately with one another when tensions get high. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but tensions are a little high in America right now. So one of the things he said is that I really think you guys need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And one of the things we landed on is that as humans, we're so interested often in being right at each other that it often comes at the expense of being right with each other. And we kind of land on this idea that it doesn't matter who's right if the two of you are not right. In week two, we dialed down further on the power of words, and James, again, was really just letting us know that our mouth is really almost like a wild animal that needs to be tamed. But as humans, that's difficult for us to do. And so he asked us to sort of invite God into that process if we want to begin taming this wild animal of a mouth. And then last week, if you were here, you'll remember, we talked about what is our responsibility personally. If we are someone who has been offended by what someone else has said or even has done, and essentially we were told that we need to either cover the offense or we need to confront the offense. And if you want to find out more about that, I would just recommend heading to our website or SoundCloud or Facebook or wherever you get your podcast to learn a little bit more about that. But one thing has become clear from this series is how powerful our words actually are. That ultimately, our lives have been shaped by the words that have been spoken to us, about us, around us. Scientists will say that words actually map our brains and inform everything that we do. Our words give uh, us a framework as to how to understand the world around us, how to understand our own faith, and, and even how we understand God. See, these words shape our experiences, they shape our relationships, they shape our marriages. It even shapes our confidence and, and self-esteem and our images. And I just firmly believe that words have the power to influence the direction and the quality of our lives. Which is why Proverbs states that words can bring death or life. And until this day, for the last three weeks, we've really focused on the deadly aspects of our words, so to speak. 
But today, as we kind of wrap up, I want us to shift perspectives for a second. And I want us to zone in on how our words can bring life. So Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament, really speaks into this idea of bringing life with our words. And it's an interesting conversation because he talks about how we can bring life with our words by talking about our new life with Christ. Now, let me just kind of give you a, a little bit of disclaimer. As I begin to walk you through this argument that Paul is creating, there's going to come a time where you might say, what does this have to do with words? I, you, you might not see the connection right away, but just stick with me. I'm going to get you there. I'm going to bring it together so you know exactly what Paul is trying to tell us. So he kicks off in the book of Ephesians, letter to the Ephesians, I should say, chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Paul says this, I tell you this in the name of the Lord. You must not live any longer like the people of the world who do not know God. They are strangers to this life of God. So in this letter, Paul's original audience, who he's writing this to, who he's speaking to, they're Christians, okay? And he's like, guys, look, you're Christians now, which means that you can no longer live like the world. And he kind of goes on to describe how the world lives. And essentially, what he's describing is how the world lives for themselves. They do whatever they want, whenever they want, for themselves, generally speaking, not thinking about a lot of other people. Generalizing, of course, but that's the point that he's trying to make. To which he says, but you did not learn anything like this from Christ. If you have heard of him, which you have, he would say, and have learned from him, which you did, put away the old person you used to be. Have nothing to do with your old sinful life. Let your minds and hearts be made new. So again, remember, he's speaking to Christians, and he's reminding them about who they are. He's not preaching the gospel hoping that someone will become a Christian and become new people. He goes, hey, y'all are new people, so you have to start acting like it. And he creates this analogy here where he, he talks about you got to put away the, the old person. In some translations, it'll say you, you need to take off the old clothes. You need to throw away the old dirty clothes. We don't just stop there, Paul says. We are also to put on a new set of clothing. This is not the first time Paul has sort of made this analogy. In 2 Corinthians, he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. So the point that Paul is making here, and this is important that we grasp this, the point that he is making is that when you become a Christian, it's not so much that you just stop doing what you used to do. It's not so much that you just stop doing the old sinful ways, but that you also start doing something completely different. Then Paul gives us a couple of examples of what it would look like to live this new life or what it would look like to put the new clothes on. He says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Doing something useful, as opposed to doing something that was useless, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. In other words, if you are a Christian, it's not so much that you just stop stealing. It's not so much that you just take off the sin of theft. 
And it's not so much that you even just get a job, but it's the idea that now that you're a Christian, you work in order to give. You work in order to meet the needs of other people. In essence, when Jesus comes into your life, Jesus changes the very function of your hands. You once used your hands to steal. Now you use your hands to give. You took off the old, you put on the new. In the same way, now we're getting to our words, all right? In the same way, he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So again, it's not so much that we just stop the unwholesome talk, all right? But that we also begin to use our words to build up and help others. Jesus, just like with the our hands, Jesus is changing the function of our mouths. You once used your mouth to tear down. Now you're going to use your mouth to build up. So let's kind of dive into this and pick this apart because there's a lot that we can learn from this just small section right here. So Paul kind of says this thing. He goes, look, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Now, this word unwholesome, in Greek, in the original language, when this was first written, this word unwholesome really means more like rotten or decayed or spoiled. And Jesus used this exact word when he was describing rotten fruit. So let's just kind of stay with this rotten fruit idea for a second because there's something that we can learn uh, from this idea of rotten fruit. So we know a couple of things. We know that which is rotten does not nourish. Doesn't, rotten fruit does not impart nutrition. It doesn't give you strength. It doesn't improve you at all. It, it doesn't help you. It's really only good for being thrown away, just like our rotten words. We know that which is rotten will make you sick. You ever get food poisoning? Not fun, okay? Our team down here, they love Chipotle, and I always say, look, if you get Chipotle, there's a 50% chance you're getting E. coli, so have fun with that. Now, I, I ate undercooked chicken one time, wild for 24 hours, all right? I do not recommend that, unless that's your thing, but it's just not, it's not fun. So rotten food, not only does it not help us, but it causes harm. Just like a rotten language causes harm in the lives of other people. And then lastly, we know that which is rotten just makes the atmosphere unpleasant. Did you ever leave the garbage can in your kitchen full for like a, you know, like a, a day too long? You should have taken it out at night, but you left it till the morning and you walk into the kitchen and it's like, whoa, oh my gosh, what happened here? All right, that when you're around rotten, unwholesome talk, Slander, gossip, it just stinks. It permeates the whole atmosphere. It, it accosts the senses, stings the nostrils, all right? And, and so, so Paul's like, look, listen. Before any of that unwholesome, rotten talk comes out of your mouth, cut it off at the pass. Cut it off at the pass. Because that unwholesome talk, that's the old you. That's the old wardrobe. So let's take that old wardrobe off and let's put on the new wardrobe. And so he gives us some advice. He goes, if you gotta say something, okay? You gotta say something. Make sure it's only what is helpful for building others up. See, Paul is indicating that there's a way that our words can actually impact someone else's life positively. 
that there's a way that our words can help others reach their highest potential. That there is a way that our words can actually help others become what God wants them to be. Now, that's an entirely new way of thinking about our words. Now, when Paul uses this word build here, building or to edify in, in other translations, the original audience would have immediately pictured a, a construction site, immediately. But more specifically, it's, it's actually this idea of a home addition. Ever do one of these before? A lot of fun. Um, so when you add on to your house, it's not that you're just making it bigger. It's that you're adding value to your home. And in the same way, our conversations should be thought of as a construction site. And our words, building material. And every time we end a conversation and we leave that conversation, the other person should, have, should be better off for having been with you. That you've actually added value to their lives. We're all experts in something, right? We all, we all know something really well. You do a lot of reading on it, or it's your hobby, or it's this, or it's that, or, it, or it's your job. And so this idea of sort of pouring into other people, trying to make their lives better, we, that entices us. We kind of like that idea of, of sort of using what we know to help others become what they are. Now, it doesn't mean that if you know a lot about fashion, you should be, you know, just handing out fashion advice to everybody in your path. It doesn't mean that if you know a lot about nutrition, that you should just be handing out dieting advice, right? Paul is not asking us to dole out pearls of wisdom willy-nilly to everybody who's in front of us. Rather, he gives us some guidelines that we can think about as we begin to build others up. He says, when you build, do it that it may, oh, pardon me, that it is according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. So you're doing it all for them. That's challenging because we like to get our needs met and we like to talk about what we want to talk about. And Paul's saying, guys, Christians, in this new life as a Christian, you need to begin thinking about your conversations differently. You, you, you should treat all conversations as an interaction of opportunity, as an opportunity to be used by God to meet the needs of another person. Now, the implication here is that we have a responsibility to know what the other person's needs are. How do you do that? Well, you already know. You're going to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Because when you listen, you will learn about who they are, what's going on in their lives. You're going to learn what their needs are. You're going to find out exactly the need in that moment, and you can speak into that need very accurately, which is why Proverbs says the right word at the right time is like precious gold set in silver. You listened. You spoke. And it helped. And that, according to Solomon, is priceless. You gave that person exactly what they needed to hear at exactly the right time. So if our words are to benefit others, if we're to build them up, if we're to speak into the needs of their lives, okay, if our words have the ability to influence the direction and the quality of other people's lives, then here's my question to you. Who has God placed in your life, and what do they need to hear you say? Now, notice what this question is not asking. This question is not asking, what do people need to hear? This question is asking, what do people need to hear you personally 
say to them? Because I firmly believe each and every single one of us has been placed in the lives of other people on purpose by God. And if you've been at this church any length of time, how many times have you heard me personally say, only you can do what you can do with what you have? I say it like once a month, basically, okay? I gotta get a new line, but this is true. And so what relationship has God given you? What role in somebody else's life has God given you? Whereby only you can perfectly speak into their needs. Whereby only you can build them up. And whereby only you can heal them. Husbands, what does your wife need to hear you say? Wives, what does your husband need to hear you say? Parents out there, are you being intentional with how you speak to your kids and around your kids? Because they're listening. Is there a friend or a coworker? Maybe even a sibling. Everybody's needs are different, okay? But what I want to do for the remainder of this time is I just want to give you a couple of examples of things that might need to be said in order to benefit that other person on your path. So some of you might need to say something hard, okay? There may be someone in your life right now who is just going in the wrong direction. They might be going in the wrong direction relationally, okay? Marriage is in trouble. You've heard inklings that they might be dabbling in maybe getting involved in some kind of affair. Maybe someone in your life is going in the wrong direction professionally. It's just you, you see them at work and they're showing up late or they're just their attitude. But I mean, they are dangerously close to losing their job. Or perhaps somebody in your life is going in the wrong direction financially. It's just a bunch of unwise and bad decisions and you just see this person that you love and care about racking up all kinds of debt. And you've watched this for weeks, months, and you've prayed for these people, but you've never said anything to them. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time that you go to that person and you say, hey, why don't we, um, let's get some coffee. We need to talk. And it's going to be awkward. And it's going to be hard. And, and there's going to be something inside of you that feels like, ah, I'm overstepping my bounds here. I'm overstepping my bounds here. But when you, when you choose to speak to someone in love, not in judgment, but in love, God can use those words to absolutely change the direction of that person's life. Now, some of you may need to say something thankful. Now, I know this makes no sense grammatically, but I'm trying to create something here that you can remember. Okay, what I really wanted to say is some of you need to say thank you. All right, <laughs> pull this up for them. Someone, <laughs> you guys say thank you. You get this up for them? There we go. Um, here's the thing. A lot of us, most of us, are very grateful people. And we are grateful for the people that are in our lives. We're grateful for what they do. I mean, I am so grateful for what my wife does for our family. I am so grateful for the DHC volunteers and what they do for you guys every single Sunday. I mean, some of these people are showing up at 6.45 in the morning to get this place ready for you guys. And it's incredible. But unless we actually verbalize our gratitude, unless we actually say thank you to those people, 
then our unexpressed gratitude communicates in gratitude. We did a whole message on this, this summertime. This is a problem. This is a problem. Because if you've never actually said thank you to the other person, then they have no clue how thankful you actually are. Like I said, you might feel gratitude. You might feel it in your heart. But when we say nothing, it makes them believe you feel nothing. And by not saying thank you, it often makes them feel rejected. And we never want to make a person feel rejected. So maybe there's somebody in your life right now. Maybe they're sitting right next to you. And they're dealing with hurt because they don't believe that you appreciate them. Even when you probably do. Say thank you. Build them up. They'll feel loved, appreciated, and accepted. Now, some of you need to say something encouraging. I'll just say this. Encouragement might be the absolute best tool in our toolbox in order to build other people up. Encouragement is something that everybody needs, and encouragement is something that everybody can do. Now, over the summertime, um, I forget it was like June or July, I actually got a text message from someone in this church, and it was a text message that was a, it's just an encouraging text message. Like a thank you for what you do, appreciate it, you know, just kind of building me up. And, and I got to be honest with you, it meant so much to me that I took a screenshot of it because I wanted to save it. You ever do something like that? Somebody sends you a text or maybe a nice email or even a handwritten note, and it just so genuinely touches your heart that you save it. So this person sent this to me, and I, I screenshotted it, and it meant so much to me. It, it impacted me so deeply that I actually sent it to my mom <laughs> because, you know, moms like that kind of stuff. And, and to a degree, it's encouraging for a parent to hear these things about, about their kid. And, and so here's the problem. <clears throat> when I sent the screenshot with the note, wow, mom, look at, look at the nice things this person just sent. The problem is I sent it back to the original person. Um, so needless to say, I got to move. <laughs> I've got resumes out on the West Coast because I can't stay here after that. I mean, that is <laughs> I mean, that's just far too. Okay, now, here's the thing. That blunder, all right, that faux pas, which will haunt me for years, inadvertently let that person know how much she impacted my life because she felt a need. I don't know how she felt it. She felt a need, and she met that need. And just like Solomon said, the right word at the right time is priceless. So if someone in your life is breathing, they need encouragement. So would you say something encouraging? Lastly, some of you might need to say something supportive. There's going to come a time in your life when a fellow believer will need you. It might be some trial in life. It might be a crisis of faith. It might be a, a health issue. But there's going to come a time in your life when you might need to carry that other person with your own faith and speak God's love over their life. They may need you to reinforce and remind them about God's promises, about God's word, and about God's love. Now, that might seem like a daunting task. You might be a person who hears that and you go, oh, I hope that's not me. Okay, that because who am I to do who am I to do something like that? 
I, I can barely remember the sermon, let alone remember the scripture. Now you're saying I have to tell people about this stuff? That Here's what you need to know. According to Jesus himself, if you ask the Holy Spirit to help you, he will help you remember the scripture. The Holy Spirit will help you remember Jesus' teachings. And you're going to need the Holy Spirit to remember my teachings, okay? But like when you get into that situation, the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, exists specifically for that reason, to help you in that time of need. As humans, we have been blessed with the gift of speech. As Americans, we have been blessed with the freedom of speech. The question is, how are you going to use it? So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it is your first time here at Downtown Harbor Church, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So I'm just going to put a few things on your radar that I think you should be thinking about. This passage that we read today, Paul paints a picture that in this new life with Christ, as we put on the new clothing, that we are to be actively changing how we speak. We're not just stopping one thing, but we are starting something completely new. And based on what he wrote, what's clear is this new life doesn't come naturally. He was writing to Christians who were struggling with their words, which means you will too. This whole series was designed to make us more mindful of the fact that we can do some damage up here, that our words have the power of life and death. So, each day, we need to actively be trying to be more like Jesus, building others up with our words rather than tearing them down. And then lastly, I think we need to return to the question that we asked during the middle of the service because I think it's just so vitally important. And here it is. Who is waiting for you to say something? I mean, as you heard the scripture today, was there a name or a face that you just, you couldn't shake? Where there was a conviction in your heart that you personally need to reach out to that someone? Don't wait. Don't wait. Do it today. Because you don't know what hangs in the balance there. Your words could be the very thing that God uses to change that person's life. Perhaps forever. Let me pray for you. Dearly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come here today and gather. This is a big challenge for us, Lord. Because I think our natural inclination is to, is to tear others down with our words, God. And, and you've asked us to just remove that clothing from our body and put on something completely new. Help us to actively learn to speak love into other people's lives, to build other people up, Lord. And over the next few weeks particularly, every single person, if they're an American, is going to be challenged with their words. And I pray that at least in this church, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you can help us 
to change the way that we speak and to build others up. God, additionally, for those in the audience who felt your presence powerfully, who saw that name, who saw that face, Lord, if there is someone in our lives that is just waiting for us to speak to them, I pray that you would give us the courage to do so. Because I firmly believe you can use our words to change them forever. We ask all this in Jesus' name.